You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You got a Bible, you could turn to Genesis. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14. We'll start there. Genesis 3, chapter 14. And if you didn't bring a Bible, then there's Bibles on your table. And if you don't have a Bible, then you could keep the Bible that you see that has a mill sticker on it. It's yours. It's like stealing, but it's not because we're giving it to you. If you want it, you can have it. We give out free Bibles. That's fun. Uh, let's see. Genesis three fourteen. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start with the end in mind. This morning at the Mill Sunday School is a lesson about uh, the fall of humanity, how we made a mistake before God and turned against God. But we're going to start with the end in mind because we are still God's friend, right? And Satan is still a bad guy. Listen to what the Bible says here. Genesis 3.14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and what the serpent just did was he deceived the man and the woman into doing something God told them not to do. Specifically, it was eating of a fruit of of a tree that God specifically told them, do not eat from that tree. And so because the serpent did that, cursed are you above all the livestock above all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Some people think that the serpent had arms and legs before and now the serpent is a snake, that he lost his arms and legs. (laughs) It's fun to think about, you know. And I will put enmity between you and the women, between you and the woman. You know what that means? Opposition. That's why girls are afraid of snakes. (laughs) And snakes are afraid of women. That's just the way it is. But listen to this. There's seriousness here. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you see that? This is the first mentioning of Jesus in the book of Genesis. It's the first mentioning. He's talking to the serpent saying, the woman is going to have an offspring and eventually that offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the book of Genesis doesn't end here. The Bible doesn't end on page 10. We know that through the rest of the Bible, that that serpent, it refers back and says that that serpent is Satan. And then in other chapters, in the book of Romans, it talks about how Jesus is the one that crushes the head of the serpent. And so right here in the third chapter of of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we have the end of the story already written out for us. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus wins. Isn't that exciting? The Bible doesn't end on page 10. In my Bible, it ends on page 1950 when the second coming of Jesus, he comes back to judge all evil acts and to kill and to crush the head of the serpent once and for all. That's a good ending. And it's, it's, it's prophesied right here in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. So let's pray and open up with that in mind this morning. Jesus, we worship you. God, we thank you that even though we as humans have all messed up and gone against your will, that, God, you have prepared a way of salvation for us, that the serpent, that the evil one, that the evil presence on this earth, that the mistakes that we've made are not bigger than us because you, Jesus, have crushed them and you've made us whole in your name by the blood that you shed on the cross. And we're just so thankful for that, Jesus. And everybody screamed, Amen. Amen. Wow, you guys are into it this morning. Is it the cold weather that's gotten you waking up, woken up? Anybody like the cold weather out this morning? I love it. You need like hot chocolate and a puppy and a fire. (laughs) 
and then it's just all nice, huh? It's exciting, which reminds me, this weather reminds me of fall retreat. Anybody going to fall retreat? If you're not going to fall retreat, ask somebody who is, ask them why they're going, and then I think you'll want to go as well, because fall retreat is the sweetest thing we do. But right now, you're all in the middle of Sunday school. Thank you for getting up early. Thank you for coming. This is the, the agreement is that you come up, you come here early, and, and we talk about Bible knowledge, because some of us in here are nerds. Any nerds in here? Yeah, me too. I'm a nerd. I, I just like studying the Bible, and uh, Sunday school is a place where we like to do that. We, we like to go a little deeper. We like to get into the Word of God, get fed, get the meat of the, of the Word. And so it's very teachy. We don't really do worship in here as far as singing, but we all, what we do afterwards is we all go to section 11. We sit down, we do worship. Brady Boyd's going to have a sermon about calibrate this morning. And so it's very sermony, worshipy. But in here, it's teachy. It's kind of nerdy. And I'm proud to call myself a Bible nerd. Anybody else? All right, let's get started today with, uh, I want to start, uh, I guess, kind of talking about creation. Last week, we talked about creation. Last week, um, and by the way, if you're new, every month of the Mill Sun, every month in the Mill Sunday School, we, t we tackle a new topic. And this whole month, we're going over Old Testament church history, or just Old Testament history. And uh, we started last week, we got the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. And so we're going to get a little further than that today. <laughs> But uh, last week we talked about how God is creator, how we as Christians believe in creation because we believe in a creator. And we talked about the term ex nihilo. Do you remember that from last week? Do you remember what it means? Out of nothing. I hear it being whispered. It means out of nothing, that God created out of nothing, that there is only in existence two things, two different types of stuff on everything that's in all of existence falls into the category of one type of stuff or another type of stuff. The one is God. The other is his creation. Think about that for a second. Everything falls into either being God himself or being his creation. So you ask, well, where did the properties of gravity come in? Were they along with God when he was, before he was? No. God is the only thing that was ever was in the beginning. God. And then out of God, he created gravity. He created love. He created humans. He created Satan, the mountains, the, the temperature. Everything is either God or his creation. Think about that for a second. It's so simple, but yet so complex. Everybody go, hmm, that's good. <laughs> it's because it's God. It's, his, it's, it's either God or his creation. That's how cool God is. That's how powerful God is. And so uh, we talked about creation last week, and specifically this morning, I just want to continue talking about creation, kind of dip into creation versus evolution, just real quick, just really, really quick, and then get into the fall of humanity. And I'm not even, I mean, you'll, you'll see where we go with that, because it could, sometimes creation evolution is kind of like a can of worms. Do you know what that means? You open it up, and everybody's just kind of like, ah, I have this opinion, I have that opinion. It's just, it's just kind of a can of worms. Have you heard that expression before? We're not going to get, don't worry, don't worry. We're, we're, we're above that in here. Um, when I was in college, I um, got my undergraduate degree in biology. And so, uh, anybody else? There's like so much excitement. Uh, I got my degree in biology. I wanted to be a high school biology teacher. And uh, when I was in college, there was a whole class, a whole semester-long class on the process of evolution. 
and the teacher on the very first day uh, kind of opened up with, hi, I'm Professor So-and-so. And then, like, his opening ideas was, I don't really like Christians. I think Christians are dumb. I think Christians are bad because of this and that. And he talked about Christians are silly because they believe in a, in a young earth. Christians are silly because they believe in intelligent design. Christians are silly because everything can be explained through science. He said Christians are silly because they believe, some of them believe in a, in a flood that covered over the entire earth, and that's just silly. And he went on and on and, and, and made fun of, like, of the image of God, that the image of God he thought, which isn't even true, is, is a man, a white male. And so for that reason, that's why white males thought it okay to have slaves during the, in the United States when we had slaves, which isn't true. But he was like throwing out. I mean, this is his opening lines as a teacher teaching a class. And then he said, Are there any, is there any Christians in here? <laughs> and he said, there's always a few that take this class. And of course, I was sitting in the class and I did, I did one of those, you know, I mean, can you imagine it? I mean, I have no idea what's going on. There's like 40 people in the class. Teacher says, are there any, after just bashing Christians, he says, are there any Christians in here? Actually, he might have said, right, is there anyone in here that believes in intelligent design, that there is a creator, that his, his hand has been on creation, working um, through creation and, and creating things in time? He says, does anyone believe in intelligent design? Are there any Christians in here? And so I did one of the, like the half raise kind of things. And, and, he, and I looked around, and there was a couple other people also raising their hands. And he called on me, not like I wanted to be called on, uh, but he said, why do you believe in creation? Or why do you believe in intelligent design? And, and so I got, to, I got to share. It's kind of an opportunity, kind of just like, kind of just talking, waiting to get bashed in the head by his theological doctoral PhD-ness. And uh, so I just said, well, when I was in high school, I, start, I first started studying evolution and creation, and I, I kind of came to the conclusion, and it really is my testimony, that uh, through studying evolution and creation, I realized that evolution can't explain everything. At some point, there has to be a creator. And so I kind of said that, and I said, I kind of believe along the lines of Francis Bacon. And for some reason, I had this on the the tip of my mind, and so I said, I kind of believe along the lines of Francis Bacon, the inventor of science back in the Middle Ages, who, uh, as the science, he wrote kind of the scientific method as we know it today. And I said, I kind of believe along his lines that that because because God is a creator and He's good, that we could study creation, that we could study science and learn more about God. And he gave an analogy. I didn't I didn't say this in the class, but he Francis Bacon gave the analogy that. If you take all the parts of a clock and you put it in a box, just the, the random parts, you put it in a box. So here's the box with all these parts. And you just start shaking the box. His, the, he said it would be preposterous to think that you could shake that box enough, even maybe shaking it for millions of years, and then finally one day open it up and see a clock inside the box. It's just a silly thing to think about. I mean, all the parts are there. It's just a matter of shaking it enough to get a clock out. Ridiculous, right? That you could shake the, the box of parts of a clock and, and pull out a clock. That's just ridiculous. The only way to get a clock out of parts is to bring it to a clock maker to make the parts. And so I said that in this class, and uh, I, I, just, I just kind of, maybe I was just like mumbling. I mean, I don't even remember. I kind of blacked out. <laughs> Because you might see me as like an outgoing kind of person, but when I'm in class, and especially a few years ago when I was in college, I was very shy. I was, I'm still today, I'm probably more introverted than extroverted. And so I don't, I don't like getting called on in class. Uh, maybe some of you do. But I just kind of said that. And then he said, 
well, I got to respect that. And then he went on. And it was just so random that he would like, but I thought I was just ready to get smashed over the head with his, with his evolution-ness and his PhD-ness that he just said, well, I respect you for that. And then after the class was over, that very day, the first day of class, he pulled me aside and he apologized that he had made fun of Christians. And it was just kind of cool that, that I stood up for the fact that I believe in a creator. And as Christians in this room, we're going we're gonna to get into the uh, j just kind of briefly to skim over the idea that there's Christians who believe in intelligent design, that there's an old earth, and that there's a young earth, a literal seven days or a, uh, like a, a year is a thousand days to, to the Lord. Have you heard? I'm, I'm sure it's no surprise to you, right? You've, you've heard that there's, there's various sides to take. Um, but science is cool. Science allows us to fly airplanes. Science allows us to... Um, uh, overcome diseases. Science allows us to plant more crops on a field to feed more people. Science is good, and yet science um, in some ways has, or science has physical explanations for things. And so for that reason, science, um, scientists often are very opposed to the fact that Jesus walked on water. Scientists are often opposed to the fact that Jesus healed the sick. Scientists are often opposed to the, the, the fact that uh, that the God is a creator and he created things. You know why they're opposed to that? Because those things in and of themselves are miracles. They can't really be explained by science. And so um, the main idea is if you're, if you're taking down notes and, and under creation, put don't let science bully you around. Don't let science bully you around. And I'm going to explain that. Uh, don't let science bully you around. The very nature of science is that it, um, it doesn't stop thinking new things. It doesn't stop with just um, one explanation. Think about it. If science just stopped in like the 1900s and people said, oh, there's no way we could ever fly an airplane. There's no way we could ever reach the moon. It's just impossible. Let's just stop thinking about it. Then we wouldn't have flown a plane. We wouldn't have landed some people on the moon. Think about it for just a second. Science has the best explanation possible for the physical evidences in the world today. It doesn't, um, I guess the other way to say it is, it's always looking to progress. Um, Isaac Newton, have you heard of that dude? He invented calculus when he was like 16. Pretty cool kind of dude. Um, Isaac Newton had three laws of motion. Some of you could probably name those laws of motion because you're physics nerds. Um, Isaac Newton had laws of motion. And those laws of motion were called laws, not theories of motion. They're laws of motion because in every single circumstance, everything follows these laws of motion. And that was way back in the Middle Ages. But then a dude came along called Einstein. Do you know Einstein with the puffy hair and stuff? Um, he had a theory that if you speed up a particle to the speed of light, that time actually slows down. Have you heard of that theory before? It's pretty insane that time itself slows down. And so the laws of motion having to do with t things in motion over time, the laws didn't apply to things that were sped up to, uh, ex they're accelerated to the speed of light. And so that law wasn't really a law. I mean, it's still kind of, we still call it a law, but it's like, well, we found exceptions to the law. So it's really not a law anymore. Science keeps 
progressing. Science keeps going on. Science um, is the best possible solution at the time. And so, who knows? Maybe science one day will prove the existence of a creator. Wouldn't that be sweet? I think it'd be sweet because I believe in a creator. I believe, I, I, I want to say that don't let science bully you around. But at the same time, um, hold on to the things of the Bible. Hold on to the foundations with the grip of steel. Hold on to your salvation through Jesus Christ with fists of steel, fists of fury. But don't hold on to the things that are not foundational with the same amount of, of gripping power. A lot of us know that there's Christians that would say that believe in a young earth and there's Christians that believe in an old earth, right? I mean, if we had people raise their hand in here, some, some of us might fall on the side of, I believe in a young earth, meaning seven-day literal creation that, God, that, that, that the Genesis account is extremely literal. And then some of us uh, in here may uh, believe that maybe there's a gap theory. Have you heard of the gap theory before? It's kind of cool. It's not worth talking about too much because uh, it takes a while to explain. There's the gap theory or just this idea that the earth is really old. There's two, um, two ideas in looking at the book of Genesis, the story of the first, uh, I guess, five chapters, first two chapters of the book of Genesis. Don't hold on to that. I mean, I, I've just, I kind of get twerked a little bit when I hear Christians say, well, if, if you don't believe in a young earth, then you're not saved. Have you, have you heard? I've actually heard that before. And that's not, it's not a foundational issue. Foundational issues are about Jesus Christ. If you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the work he did for you on the cross, then you're not saved. That's what the Bible's about. And so to have that same passion and zeal and, and just like fists of fury on, on the idea that if you don't believe in a young earth, then, then you're going to hell, it's just not just not the way it works. So those two points under creation. Number one, don't let science bully you around. And number two, um, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Right? And that's, that's really all I want to say about that. And, and I'm sure we could just open it up for debate about evolution and creation. And, and we would, really would open a can of worms. And it, it would be fun. But um, this is the Mill Sunday School, right? Let's, let's concentrate on the main thing. Are you ready to dive into one of the main things about the Bible? One of the main things about the Bible is that God created, and he created humans. Here's some stats for you. Um, a Gallup poll in May uh, 2007 found that 43% of the people in, in the United States, this was impressive to me, 43% believe that God created man and woman in their present form. That's, that's going to be the majority. 38% said that man uh, and woman developed under God's guidance. And only 14% said that, that God had no part in man's development. That, that, that man, that you and I sitting here can be totally explained away by science, which I think is silly. Do you think that's a little silly? I mean, look at just, if you, if you think that, just look at yourself and go, yeah, there's got to be a creator. There's not enough time for the box to shake of, of chemicals and, and stuff and open the box and a human to pop out. Right? I mean, what's more? I mean, just, it's just preposterous to think that, that, that just an amoeba can, can develop into Joe Kirkendall. 
I'm not. That's just not where I came from. I came from God. And so there's a Latin word in your notes. Do you see it there? It says imago Dei. Any Latin scholars? Anybody that knows what that means? Oh, I heard it. it. It stands for the image of God. Write that down next to imago Dei. The image of God. The image of God. And this is, uh, I guess, let me, let me ask you the question. What exactly is the image of God? And while you think about that, let's read um, a section here. Turn to Genesis 1. Turn the page over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, okay, so you're thinking as, as we read this, think to yourself, what exactly specifically is the image of God, the imago Dei, if you want to get all cool and use your Latin terms because you're a nerd. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So girls, you're in the image of God too. Do you know that? God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the living creatures that move along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit inside of it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the, beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was so. God saw that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So what specifically, do you remember the question you were supposed to think about? What specifically is the image of God, the Imago Dei inside of us? Well, sometime, throughout history, um, various Christians have proposed different ideas as to what specifically is the image of God. Some people have said, well, God is in the form of a human, like our physical form, 10 fingers, 10 toes, two legs, hands, arms. It's an okay theory, I guess, but it's like, well, does God need to limit himself to the form of a human being like us? I don't think so. Not necessarily. A better, here's some better ideas. Um, that, that humans are smart, that we have a mind and can use tools, that that's the image of God. That's getting a little better, I guess, that we have a mind. Uh, the third one is that we have dominion over things. This is the third best. I'm going to like the fourth best. Um, but the third best is that we have dominion. And one of the specifics for that is that right after he said he created them, he said, give them dominion over all of the birds of the sea, over all the livestock and all the creatures that move along the ground. That because God has dominion over the earth and all of creation, then humans on the earth have dominion. And so that's kind of the image of God. But here's what I think it is. Are you ready for, um, I, I would say it's my theory, but it's not my theory. It's been around for probably thousands of years. The idea is that we are built for a spiritual relationship. That the image of God, if you're taking notes, is that we are built for a spiritual relationship. And here's why I believe that. Because God himself is triune. There's three persons inside of one God. And so there's a relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
There's a spiritual relationship there. And so for the same reason, we are built as humans. The image of God says that we are built with a, a spiritual relationship, a need inside of us. Augustine said that there's a, a God-shaped box inside of every human. Have you heard that phrase before? It's a pretty famous saying. I mean, it was said by Augustine like 400 AD. He said that inside every human is a God-shaped box that you try to put different stuff into it. Like, oh, I could try to fulfill my life through, through doing stuff. I could try to fulfill my life through being cool and famous or having money. But, there, but the only thing that will fit inside that box that's in your heart, that, that, that shape is God. And he's the only one that can go inside of you. That spiritual relationship is what we're born for, is what we need to be fully human, to have the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what the image of God is? And so despite the fact that we had the image of God, we still um, disobeyed God. And let's read the story now of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's the next, next, next chapter, Genesis 3. I'm going to read the first six verses. Genesis 3, uh, I'm going to read the first six. It's, it talks about the serpent now. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We might eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, that, fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or else you will die. You will not surely die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. If you have your own Bible and you like writing notes, what I did is I made a big, like a big colon mark around verse 6 and then separating verse 7 because the entire Bible, the rest of the whole Bible, it's as if before the, there was the fall, there was time before the fall when everything was good and perfect, and then there was the time after the fall. But Jesus didn't let it go like that. You'll see. We, we started this Sunday school with the end in mind. And so the fall is all about humans doing something that was evil, that was against God's will. And so now we want to get into the problem of evil. It's a problem that there's evil, and I'll explain that in a second. But first I want you to think, where did evil come from? Did God, I guess the question is, were humans created with that evil inside of them to go against God? Did evil, here's, here's the question, and, and I think it'll be fun to discuss just for a second within our tables. Did evil come from God? Did evil come from God? I guess it's kind of a yes or no kind of thing, but then you need to, to talk about how is it then that evil came from God, or how is it that evil is here if it didn't come from God? Discuss amongst your groups for like 30 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. All right. <clears throat> it must be a good question, huh? It's a really good question. It's a big theological question. Can I, give you a, can I give you a quick physics lesson? This will very much help your thinking of good and evil, I think. Did you know that there's no such thing as cold? 
there's only the absence of heat. Did you know that? Did you take physics? Um, were, were you paying attention? Were you awake when you took physics in high school? I was. It was one of my favorite classes. And I learned that there, the temperature, like if something is hot, it has heat to it, then the molecules are, are like moving really, really fast. And so like water, if it moves really, really, really fast and gets really hot, then it boils and it can't even be in the form of liquid anymore. It becomes into vapor. And so heat is molecules moving fast. Temperature is that, that the measurement of those how fast those molecules are moving. And so there is no such thing as cold. I mean, I mean let's not get dumb here. There, I mean, we, obviously we have the word cold. But the, 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 the physical property of cold isn't really, it's just, it's just the absence of heat. And so if it's cold outside, which it is, and somebody opened up the door and cold air was coming in, you should not say, shut the door, you're letting cold in. You should say, shut the door, you're letting air in that lacks heat. <laughs> That's just what you should say. It's the correct way of saying it. And so think about it like this. Uh, fourth graders, or no, maybe it was second graders, uh, this, the teacher was telling me about a lesson they were doing for second graders. She's a teacher. And she was saying, I'm teaching them about hot and cold. And it's, it's kind of hard for them to understand because they talk about putting on warm clothes, right? And so if you take a cold, what they, they did these little experiments in second grade. They took cold cans of Coke and they put warm clothes around. They just dressed up the Coke can, the cold Coke can and warm little clothes, you know, a little scarf, little hat. And, and, uh, and then the students... Would, would measure the temperature, and they all sat down uh, before they measured the temperature and wrote down what they thought it was going to do. And every single kid in the second grade class said, oh, the Coke is going to get warmer than, than, say, the Coke that's left out. But you know what really happens? It's, yeah, it stays colder because it's insulated. And so we put on our warm clothes, like our wool jackets and our down coats, because it's an insulating thing, and the warmness comes from what's inside of us. And so I say all of this to talk about just the property of, of heat and cold, that there is that cold is just the absence of heat. And so for that reason, if you're thinking theologically about good and evil, think about the good and evil problem with the, with the idea that there's goodness because God is good and evil is kind of like cold. The absence of good, the absence of God, turning your back on God, Whatever that is, whether it's eating a piece of fruit, which doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating fruit, right? The fact of the matter is, is that God said, don't eat it. And so they're disobeying God with the act of eating. Usually it's in the paintings, it's an apple. That's why I, I put that in there. You see the cover of your skillet with the naked lady and the naked man? <laughs> That's Adam and Eve. She's eating an apple. You can't really see that. But think about it that way, that Evil is the absence of good. That evil is the absence of good. Okay, so discuss the problem of, good, of, of God creating evil once again in your groups. Do you see it now? It's like a new little addition into the problem of solving where evil came from. On your mark, get set, go. All right, let's, um, so did you come to a conclusion did you come to a conclusion about the evil and the existence of evil? I think we have to say as Christians, since God is good, that he didn't, he didn't create evil. He may have given us free choice. How many groups talked about free choice? Quite a few. It's, it's going to be a part of this problem. 
But here, um, here is the problem of evil. And so next to your notes, if you want to put A, B, C, and D, this is the problem of evil. This is, these A, B, C, and D is what a skeptic, someone that is skeptical of God and of what he's done, uh, someone that's skeptical would say about the problem of evil. It's a problem because A, uh, a good God would destroy evil. If God is good, then he would destroy evil. B, an all-powerful God could, and you know that it could destroy evil. If God is good and God is all-powerful, then why is there evil? That's the problem of evil. It's a theological problem of the existence of evil. If God isn't all good, then we could just say, oh, then God made evil. God's kind of, God's kind of like a, a bad kid with a magnifying glass burning ants. But God's not like that. God is all good. And if God, so, so, a skeptic might say, if God is all good, <clears throat> then, then is he not powerful enough to stop bad things from happening? You realize that this is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? This is the problem of evil. A, if, a good, if God is good, he would destroy it. Uh, B, an all-powerful God could. And then C, is evil has not been destroyed. Evil has not been destroyed. And so a skeptic, D, would say, therefore, there cannot possibly be a good and powerful God. We don't like that one, though, do we? Good and powerful God. That's a W. Dang it. Got a little lazy on number D. This is the problem of evil. This is something a skeptic would say. This is an argument a skeptic would say. They would say, they would say if God is good and he's all-powerful, then evil shouldn't exist. But there is evil on this earth. Bad things happen. How many people would say bad things have happened to them at some point or another? Something bad has happened to somebody. And so bad things happen. A skeptic would say that because there's, there's not a God who is powerful and he's not good. But that's just not true. But do you see the problem at least? There's bad things in this world. And so how do we answer the problem of evil? I think three-fourths, maybe half, of the problem can be answered with two words. Some of you already talked about this in your groups. Free will. Free will. That God has given us the choice of um, doing evil or doing good. Without the existence of, without the choice of doing, of turning against God, then it's really not truly loving God. Think about it this way. I'm married to the really cool girl that's back there at the red hair. She's my wife. She's named Erica. And um, if she, uh, if she, if I found out that maybe someone in her family or some someone of my friends said, "You have to marry Joe, or else I'm going to shoot you with a gun," <laughs> do you think that I would be happy hearing about that? No, because then I would question: Did she really love me, or did she have to marry me because she was scared of dying? Do you see it? Without the choice. I mean, she had a choice in the matter. I had a choice in the matter. 
and we, married, we decided to marry each other despite the fact that she knows about my faults and I know about her faults. We decided to marry each other through free choice. It proves the existence of love. Everybody say, oh. <laughs> I know, I know you girls want us to do that anyways. And so um, <clears throat> think about it this way. Uh, a, computer, a computer or talking doll can be programmed to say, I love you. But that doesn't have the same significance as when a human chooses to freely love. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Do you know who C.S. Lewis is? He's pretty much one of the coolest Christian thinkers and book writers that's ever been. He said, God created things which had free will. And C.S. Lewis is kind of one of those nerdy, really nerdy guys, so you have to pay attention. Uh, God created things which had free will. That means creatures can go either wrong or right. Some people think that they can imagine a creature that, has what, that was free but has no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. If a thing is free to be good, then it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes possibility of love or any goodness or joy worth having. Isn't C.S. Lewis a cool writer? It just, it just really summarizes the fact that because there is free will, because we can choose to not follow God, then all of us that do choose to follow God, it makes it that much better, that much sweeter. But does that really answer the problem of evil? I think it answers quite a bit of the question of the problem of evil, but it's still a problem of evil. Take, for instance, this example. It's a sad example, by the way. Um, uh, it's, it's, and it's a figurative example. But there's fr teenagers have the free will to go out and get drunk on the night they graduate, right? I mean, there's a lot of teenagers who just take that. They're underage anyways. They sin. They go buy a bunch of alcohol somehow, some way. They get drunk. And an even dumber decision would be for them to go driving. Now, if they hit a tree and some of them get hurt through the, the drunk driving accident, then it's kind of like, well, that was their free choice. They made a really poor decision with their life. Maybe some of them are going to be paralyzed or whatever. But it, we could kind of look at that and say, well, they made a really poor decision with their free will. They decided to underage get to drinking, and they decided to drive, which was a really stupid decision. But some of us know about car accidents that happened because there was a drunk driver that hit someone that was just driving home. And so that person that got hit and maybe paralyzed, maybe even killed by a drunk driver, evil happened to them. Did they choose to get drunk? Did they choose to get high and then go driving? No, they were just driving home to work, and yet they got hurt. And so where was their free will in the matter? Free, I think the free will thing only answers the problem of evil up to a certain point. And then you have to say, well, then why did God allow that bad thing to happen to that person that was just driving home one day? Do you see how the problem still kind of exists? I think so. The problem still exists. And so what, do, what is the solution to the problem of evil? Ladies and gentlemen, if there was a really good one, someone would write a book called The Answer to the Problem of Evil. But all we have is, uh, <laughs> all we have is the free will idea, but we have a really cool idea that says that um, Jesus is with us. You know, when someone comes up to you, so a lot of people, if you've ever led a small group, it's really only a matter of time before you're, the group that you're leading, something, some, someone will experience something bad in your group. 
as I'm one of the associate pastors of the mill, I know a lot of people. I, they, they know that I'm a pastor. And so it seems like, it's, it's been seeming like, maybe once a week someone will call me up. Just last week, someone called me up and said that one of their friends had died over the phone. And I, I'm just, I, I just say, hey, what's up, man? And he said, hey, I got something to tell you. And he just told me about how one of his friends had died. Just yesterday, someone emailed me and said, that their brother had been uh, was working construction and a big water tank fell on him on his back and now he's paralyzed and this just happened yesterday and he emailed me and, and he, he, the the tone of his email was he's a Christian he's a believer but the tone of it was why why did this happen why in the world would God allow he didn't he didn't outright say that but the tone was why would God allow this horrible event this random event to just happen like this. And I think as Christians, every single one of us has friends and we're in some sort of role in community with one another where, where people tell us about things like that. And I think, I don't think, let me say it this way, I don't think that our response should be, well, let me tell you the theology behind the problem of evil. When someone's in the middle of suffering, when someone's in the middle of telling you their worst day ever, we're not supposed to say, oh, well, let me tell you all about the answers. I have all the answers for you. Line them all up. The reason why God did this is because this. If someone's questioning why in the world would this bad thing happen, do you think they're really looking for an answer? No, I think they're really looking for someone to talk to, someone to, for them to, to just to talk to, to, someone to listen to them. Um, I remember the first time that as a pastor that happened to me, I was a, I was a high school youth pastor, and I, I gave a message on a Wednesday night, and then the, all the high school kids were out playing a game, and there was a girl that was usually very bubbly and extroverted and always loved the games. She was just sitting by, their, by herself. She was a freshman in high school, just kind of sitting, seemed like on the verge of tears. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, uh, the guy that I've been dating, he just broke up with me. And, and I instantly just wanted to say, well, just get over it. You're in high school. You're a freshman. <laughs> Suck it up. But that's the dumbest thing in the world. I also think it's one of my pet peeves is when someone looks at a kid, and she, she may have been 14 or 15. Someone looks at someone that's 14 and 15 and says, well, you're not a part of the real world yet. I think that's just silly because that is her world. That's very real to her. And that's the first time that her heart is getting broken. And she, she later on told me, it was actually a, a month or two later, she admitted to her parents, and then their parents came to me, and we had this meeting that she was struggling with an eating disorder. That, that when, when her boyfriend broke up with her, that was one of the only things in her life that was giving her significance. And she had a lot of suicidal thoughts during that time right after her boyfriend broke up with her. But she, she looked at me in the eyes a couple months later with her parents there, and she said, but Joe, you said something to me that gave me a lot of encouragement. You just talked about how Jesus was right there with me. And I didn't really, I wasn't really prophesying over her. I was just kind of talking to her that day uh, when everyone else was playing games. And I said, you know, when you're at night, when you're crying yourself to sleep, Jesus is right there and he's crying with you as you're falling asleep. And I didn't really know that she was crying herself to sleep, although she was. I just kind of guessed and I was just kind of using that as a figurative example. But I said the fact that the Jesus is right there with you. Jesus carries you through hard times. And, and I'm not going to begin to tell you why bad things happen to good people, why people get hit by drunk drivers when they're just going home. I'm not a begin, about to begin to explain why some people get cancer and die at an early age. They're, the problem of evil isn't, isn't supposed to be answered like that. But we do have 
a Savior who knows what it's like to suffer. We do have a Savior who knows what it's like to cry. We do have a Savior that knows really what it's like to be human. And so I told this, this, this 14-year-old girl that, and she, she later on told me that, that that's what she kept thinking about as, as she was just going through this time in her life when she, was, when she was suicidal and trying to find herself, that Jesus was right there with her. And I think that is, I mean, technically speaking, that's not really a solution to why bad things happen to good people. But, I mean, it's not technically a solution, but it's at least a big deal. It's a big, I'm going to say, solution that Jesus is with us, that we're not suffering alone, that bad things are happening. And some of us in here may be going through something right now. We could take heart in the fact that Jesus is right with us. I'm going to end with a, a, a story. It's of a, a guy named Solomon Rosenberg. He was a, a Jewish person uh, in World War II that was uh, put into a concentration camp just for being Jewish, just for naturally being born of the, of the race of being Jewish and for believing in the Old Testament, just like we believe. And it says this, uh, Mr. Rosenberg, his wife and their two sons, along with Rosenberg's mother and father, were placed in a Nazi concentration camp for Jews. It was a labor camp where the rules were simple. As long as you did your work, you were permitted to live. When you became too weak to do your work, you were exterminated. Rosenberg sadly watched his mother and father as they were marched off to their deaths. He knew that the next to go would be his son David because David had always been a frail child. Every morning, Rosenberg would come back to the Every evening, excuse me, Rosenberg would come back to the barracks day after day after hard labor, search for the faces of his family. When he found them, they would huddle together, embrace one another, and thank God for just one more day. But one day, Rosenberg came back and didn't find those familiar faces. He finally discovered that his oldest son, Joshua, was huddled in a corner, weeping and praying. He said, Josh, tell me it's not true. Josh turned and said, it's true, Dad. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work. So they came from him. But where is your mother? asked Rosenberg. Oh, Dad, he said. When they came for David, he was afraid and he cried. So Mom said, there's nothing to be afraid of, David. And she took him by the hand and went with him. And that's a, it's a sad story, obviously. But it's the image of someone going alongside with us as we're suffering. And we began Sunday school this morning with the end in mind that the serpent's head would be crushed, that evil will be put down because God is all good. And that is really, to me, the solution to the problem of evil, that Jesus takes us by the hand and is with us as we're suffering. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we worship you, God. We just recognize that you are with us, that on this earth we do not have all the answers. But Jesus, you do. We, do. we as humans on this earth do not have all the answers as the specifics of how you might have created in seven days. We do not have all the specifics as to why um, you created a man and a woman and knew that they would fall. We do not have all the specifics as to why things happen the way that they do, especially the bad things, and we question them sometimes. But God, we do know that you are with us, that you had a plan from the beginning. And even in the third chapter of Genesis, we could see that your hand was at work, that you knew you would send yourself down to die, to suffer on a cross 
for our sins and our mistakes. And so, Jesus, we just receive that right now. We thank you for that gift of life. We thank you for the gift of salvation. Jesus, we're just honored that you do not allow us to die alone, that you do not allow us to suffer alone, that you do not allow us just to walk through our life alone, but you are right here, right now, with us. And so, Jesus, we just praise you for that. We thank you. And everybody said, Amen.